Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about what to do when you screw up. Oh, that never happens. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the inspiration for this episode came from me screwing up. (laughs) So we thought it'd be a fun discussion to have in public. Yeah, yeah. So what'd you do, Jonathan? Yeah, so this is going to be a little weird, so I'm going to start off by saying that the person who I'm going to be referring to is probably listening to this, so hello. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, fear not, I'm not going to reveal any personal details or anything like that. Uh, but the story goes like this. Someone bought a something from me which included an initial phone call. And the phone call, you know, so they'd already paid, I already had their money, and, you know, they book, a, the way that it works is is you you put your credit card in this online form. Once the payment is complete, you get this link to pick a time or date in my calendar. They did so, you know, everything was, uh, they did everything they were supposed to do. And then the day of, in fact, pretty close to the meeting, I think it was about an hour earlier, I had an emergency that I had to deal with. And of course, emergencies don't happen that often, but this was definitely, uh, I was definitely not going to be able to focus. Even if I had to have the phone call, I would not have been able to focus on the situation it ended up being fine. It was nothing, but I had to deal with it. So I felt really bad, but I canceled everything that afternoon. I emailed everybody and I said, Hey, uh, really sorry to do this last minute, but I'm going to have to reschedule our meeting. And, uh, it worked out fine. People understand it's fine. And that's not the screw up though. So when this person went to reschedule, I suggested a time I said, could we, could we do this at this date and time? You know, like let's just say four o'clock on Friday or something like that. And he was like, yeah, sure, no problem. Usually, whenever I suggest a time like that, usually I just have people do the calendar thing. I use Calendly and they can just pick a time. I don't have to think about it. But whenever I do suggest a time, for example, like my Calendly's got a 48-hour buffer on it. So if we need to meet like tomorrow, then I'm, I, you don't use my Calendly. We work it out. Usually when I do that, I put an appointment at the time that I proposed in my calendar with the person's name and a question mark after it meaning that I blocked out the, I've suggested to someone that we would meet at this time. And I was so, I was so in a rush or out of sorts that I didn't do that. So when, whatever it was Friday at four, let's say Friday at four rolls around and I didn't have that in my calendar. I had never followed up with the person and sent uh, a meeting invite, but they just assumed, Oh, it'll be at that time. And I'm flitting around on Friday afternoon and I get a, um, an email, you know, I check my email later and it's like, Hey, uh, are we still on for like, Oh no, not only did I cancel on this person the first time and reschedule it. And I'm the one that suggested the time. And then <laughs> I no showed for my own time. Ouch. Ouch. I was yeah. like, and it, and I think it was a Friday. Cause I was like, Oh man, I just felt like such a loser. This is a new customer. This is the first thing they've got for me. And the worst possible internet flake, like throwing off the worst possible impression for someone who's trusted me with their money with, with sight unseen. And I was just like, this, this is awful. So I knew exactly what to do. And I was just like, I thought about it for a second. I'm like, okay, okay. Actually, let me pause there. When stuff like this happens, and fortunately it's fairly rare, but you know, things happen and nobody's perfect, especially me. But when things like this happen, I try to have the perspective of 
okay, this is an opportunity to blow this person away. So like I have created a terrible situation. It's really embarrassing. But my response to this could turn the boat around. And you're probably familiar with this happening to you, dear listener. Like if, you know, Zappos was famous for when they were new before Amazon bought them for their customer service and and what they would do to make things right and the lengths that they would go to. Nordstrom, same thing. You know, there's that famous story of someone returning winter tires to a Nordstrom and and the clerk saying, yep, we'll take them back, even though they don't even sell tires or anything related to a car. So... It's one of those opportunities where you can either rise to the occasion or you can clench down, shut down. I could have made excuses. I've actually made more excuses on this particular telling of the story than I did. (laughs) I made made no excuses in the email whatsoever. I started off with like, OMG, I-S-U-C-K, I can't believe I did this. It's totally my fault. Completely own it. And then I'm like, here's what I'd like to do to make it better. First of all, I've already sent you a refund. Uh, second of all, if you're still interested in even wasting your time with me or spending your time with me, then, you know, here's, here's a, I don't remember if I sent him a link to my calendar again, or if I proposed a new time, but it was critical to me that, well, and then he replied, he said, don't worry about it. It's, it's happened to me before too. I completely understand. Uh, you don't have to refund my money. It's fine. I really, I really think it's worth it. Uh, I'd like to talk to you. And yeah, it was really nice. And I was like, but but here's the thing. I didn't want, and that was very nice. If you are listening, thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. But I refunded the money anyway, and here's why. Because it's all part of the story. And I didn't want the story in six months when someone asks this person what it was like to work with me. I didn't want the story to be, well, I missed the first meeting and then, and then no-showed on the second one. But we ended up having a phone call and it was great. I want the story to be, he messed up at first, gave me my money back, gave me a free call. The call was amazing. And hopefully the story continues to be, and I ended up hiring from, for future things. But I wanted that story to be the maximum capitulation that I could, that I could reasonably do. I mean, I suppose I could have given more than his money back. That would have been, but I'm not even sure how I would have done that. So here's the point that I want to make is that two points really. One is that when you do screw up, I think it's an opportunity to create a raving fan. And I'm not saying that's what happened in this case, but I do think it's an opportunity to create a fan who will perhaps tell the story of you screwing up because you turned it around so well. Again, not saying that's what I did, but but it could be that you turn around one of these situations so well that it becomes a positive story. And it's a story that they'll tell other people. Like, you're not going to believe. Like, Zappos sent me the wrong shoes. Uh, they were the wrong color. And not only did they let me keep them, but they sent me the new pair overnight at their expense. And now I have two pairs of shoes for free and they refunded my money. So I've like two pairs of shoes for free from Zappos. And now, now Zappos screwed up, but now this person is like advocating for Zappos to other people. Right. Right. What you want to think about is how this story is going to get told. And yeah, that requires empathy. You have to put yourself in the other person's shoes, even when you feel stupid for want of a better word i've done it too you know where we've missed you know a meeting or some or a time on our calendar you feel stupid but you're like what are they going to say about this what are they going to think about it how can i turn that around what's the story i want them to tell about the experience of working with you i think this story is especially rough because on me because i know how important it is to as I say, get points on the board early when someone does decide to make a purchase, the time span immediately after the purchase, that's the most likely point at which they will have buyer's remorse. 
to second guess the decision because the sale is kind of still happening, even though they, even though they, you know, whatever they gave you the money or they ran their credit card or whatever, the, the sale doesn't just stop right there because then there's that, like, what, what was I doing? I was up late. I shouldn't have done that. Like, I don't really know, you know, the next day you can second guess yourself or whatever, or you mention it to someone else and they kind of scrunch up their face and you're like, yeah, wait, why did I do that? What am I going to get out of this? It's just a sensitive point in time, in my opinion, where the spin of the experience can be colored heavily by the smallest little things. So it's important to get the details right. Let me ask you though about this. Was this a scenario where this person then had to be vulnerable to you to tell them was it where they had to tell you maybe what wasn't working in their business or something they're working on? Was it, was it that kind of a, of a purchase? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it was a, yeah like a strategy. So I would I would say doubly so what you just said because this person now has to trust you to be vulnerable, which is what most of us do for a living, right? We we ask our clients to tell us what's wrong, what isn't working, to be vulnerable that they're not perfect. So I would argue it's even more important in the scenario you described because they really do have to trust trust you. Right. Yeah. The topic of our last two podcasts. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, 100% agreed. It's like, and half the stuff I'm going to say in the context of this particular situation, I'm probably going to be saying things that are utterly hypocritical based on my recent behavior with this particular person. So in, in their world where they only have the perspective on me from their point of view, they don't know that I don't know, 20 other has never happened to me with 20 other in 20 or 50 other situations. Like they don't have that scenario. They just have their perspectives like, well, you know, everybody's talking about this guy. Like, he's so great. He no shot on a meeting, kept my money, and then told me to do exactly what he didn't do. And, <laughs> you know, so it felt hypocritical. It felt like um, it doesn't have to be business either. I mean, like, whenever I have one of these situations where I, where I screw up, whether it could be with the kids, it could be with my wife, it could be whatever. I'm like, okay, I, I'm, I stink. That was bad. <laughs> I, I'm, like, going to own it. And... Step one for me when it happens is like, don't get defensive because I, you want to, like, I don't know, maybe it's not, maybe it's just me, but I want to get defensive. The impulse is to get defensive. It wasn't my fault. That wasn't me. You're going to believe me or your lying eyes. You're going to, you know, like, <laughs> right. It's like, oh no, that's your fault. I wouldn't that's have never done nature. that. Yeah. So yeah, we all feel defensive when we're, when we're critiqued. Although in this case, you weren't even critiqued. It sounds like your client hadn't critiqued you yet. He was just saying, well, what happened? Are we going to have the meeting? So, so all the better to come in with what you did. I like that as a, as a good example. It's like what, what you want to do, not you, but you, all of us, what we want to do is to create the conditions for better. So time will tell whether in this particular instance, you turned it around in such a way that he'll be a raving fan, but it doesn't matter right? You created the conditions where you can feel good about the exchange, even when you messed up. We all mess up. I just think the vulnerability that happens with that is really powerful. And I love the example you used uh, for you and Erica, because we, I don't want to speak for all women, but a lot of us love when our husbands admit that they screwed up. And we love that. And we're so forgiving. It's like, we just want to hear like humans everywhere. We just want to hear that, you know, our, that our feelings matter about something or our, in this case with clients, our experience matters. And it's, I mean, that's huge. It's such a bonding experience, or at least it can be, it won't always be, 
but you've created the conditions for something better. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point because in the work situation, the client, the buyer was total gentleman, not attacking in any way, just extremely understanding. And it, it did make it easier for me to be like, oh man, this is so bad. I'm so awful. I feel terrible about this. If the person had been attacking me, like, I can't believe, you know, blah, blah, blah. It would have been harder for me to, I, I like to think I still would have done the same thing, but it would have been harder if they were sort of in attack mode, which would have been totally justified. But if they had the kind of personality that was going to attack instead of be like, hey, uh, maybe I screwed up, but I thought this was the time you suggested type of approach. It makes it a lot easier for the person who did screw up to uh, fall on their own sword, take ownership of this of the mess up. The image that struck through my mind is when there's a problem with with an airplane when you're flying and you look at the people behind the desk and everybody's mad and you'll have some people yelling and there's always a couple people there that are really calm and those are the people who get the seats on the first available flight afterwards or they get bumped to first class. It's yeah, because I'm thinking in that scenario, had he been that accusatory, you might have refunded his money, but then also suggested maybe you shouldn't take it the next step. Uh, that is highly possible. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely a possibility. It was fortunate for me that that wasn't the case. And we did have a, I thought we had a great phone call and then that's what he said too. So uh, I thought it went really well. I feel like, I feel like I, that one I pulled out of the fire reasonably well. The story about the airlines, you just reminded me, of a book called Getting More by Stuart Diamond. And I, th I think that's right. But you can check the show notes, listener, dear listener, if you want to uh, look it up. I, I listened to the audiobook. It was just amazing. It was a book on negotiations, but not, not, not like one of these awful sales books about like, here's some ways to coerce people. And, you know, here's how you go straight to their lizard brain to make them react in a way that will cause them to purchase your thing they don't want. It wasn't like that at all. It was, it was about, two people who were seemingly in intractable positions and, and it, you know, he's more of a facilitator kind of person. He's not really a sales guy. And he'd be called in like at, at the level of like the UN to facilitate a negotiation between two warring countries. I mean, like talk about complicated, but one of the stories he tells in the book is of a couple who's racing for their plane. They're going to go on this vacation with the family. It's like, if I remember correctly, it's like, you know, mom, dad, two kids and the way that they tackle the situation, a similar situation to what you just described, and got themselves onto the plane. He explains why it worked. It's just a great book. I won't go into it here. Maybe, I mean, maybe we could do another episode on that sort of a thing. But um, I need to hear book. that episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's, an, it's an amazing book. I would, it's one of those ones that I should honestly, I should reread it once a year. It's that good. It's one of the best books I've read. There's another good one uh, about negotiation that... Um, is called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss that people have been recommending to me like crazy. And I'm, I'm familiar with his work from, you know, YouTube and his keynote speeches and stuff. And I've got the book, but I haven't read it yet. But everyone recommends that one too. Yeah, I can see where that book is going just from the title. It's a great title. I think there's something that happens in consulting in particular or advisory maybe would be a better where we're giving advice you know, I'm thinking it's a number of years ago, but I was working on a, a merger and acquisition project and and our client for that was always the VP of HR. And he was a really easy guy to work with, really enjoyed him, enjoyed the team. And then one day, it was just the two of us, there weren't any witnesses, but he went on this rant 
And he raked my team, me, the project, everything over the coals. And I'm sitting there listening to him going, what did we do? Like, I couldn't connect the dots. And so it, it was just at that moment, I just thought, you know what? This is a man who needs to be listened to. I just said, so tell me more. And then, and then what happened? And what, okay. Oh, I hear. So you thought, and you know, and I was trying not to sound like a shrink as I was doing it, but as it turns out, it wasn't anything we had done. It was his boss had had a bad day and reamed him a new one. And so he turned around and, you know, it flows downhill (laughs) and right. And so, you know, we probably spent an hour and this is a guy who in the middle of a merger doesn't have an hour. But he spent the hour, and by the time we were done, I can still I can still see his face in my mind, and he was leaning his head on his elbow, and he goes, "Thank you, Rochelle. <laughs> oh my God, thank you." And everything was fine. But I never I never came back at any of his points. I just said, "Oh, okay, okay, tell me more." If you can do it, and you can't always in the moment, because let me tell you, my first reaction was to be defensive. Like, what do you mean? My team's doing great. We're like we're within budget. We're ahead of schedule. Like, what's your problem? But that wouldn't have gotten us anywhere. I'm sure in his eyes we did screw up. But it was just that moment of listening. Sometimes maybe it. It's not about you, meaning you, the advisor. Sometimes it's about the situation and they're just, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. I kind of go back to our interview with Charlie Green. There, there are moments in every project where the client is just in a really bad place. If we can help them out of that bad place, it builds, if there's vulnerability, it's intimacy, it, it builds for the future. And not to mention you're helping another human being, which is kind of a nice thing to do when we can't. That's a really interesting angle on the subject for this week, which is that you were essentially getting blamed for screwing up, didn't really believe that that was true, and still responded in a way that created a probably a deeper relationship. Certainly you you laid the groundwork or you created the environment for a deeper relationship with that particular person. And, you know, you're telling the story about it. I'll bet you that person has told the story about it too. Again, maybe they didn't, but you certainly created a moment that is memorable perhaps to a person in that situation that would then you'd be looked favorably upon in the future and, you know, perhaps referrals or rehired in a new company or, or whatever. But that that man was loyal to me and vice versa. He still is actually, although he's he's since retired, but he waited out my two-year non-compete and he gave us one of our first projects in the in the first company that I created. And yeah, not everybody did that, but yeah, we had a great relationship. And we I think we had a good relationship before this, but I was so blindsided by someone who'd been so easygoing who just all of a sudden was like the devil incarnate and the smoke was coming out of his ears. And I mean, it was, I mean, for a moment there, I thought, am I in some physical danger here? And then, and then I was like, no, no. I mean, he never threatened me not at all. But I mean, when you, somebody's that angry, it just comes off. I mean, we've all been around angry people it just comes off them in waves. And I, I was just kind of taken aback, but I mean, maybe it's the same, like when you actually do screw up, right? It's like you, you listen to this guy. So what if, And you also empathize and imagined how you might feel if you were in his position. And I think if, if it's a bigger screw up and, you know, like I said, we've all had something happen in a project, whether it's timing 
or delivering something to the wrong person, whatever those are, it's there's just something really helpful if we can not be defensive and just listen, even if it kills you. And frankly, that's when it's great to work with clients on the phone because they can't see you. <laughs> you're listening and you're going, really? That's how you think about what happened? But you, you just keep pushing that down so that you can be present and listen to what they're actually saying, what they're saying and what they're maybe saying between the lines as well. There's some gold in that too. Before the show, we were talking a little bit about something that seemed unrelated, but now starting to seem more and more related to me, which is probably shouldn't go way down this rabbit hole because it's a little off topic, but how to respond to unsolicited criticism or disagreement or now that you're doing that daily mailing list, you know, <laughs> I'm getting a lot more critiques, getting a lot more <laughs> advice about how to do things the right way. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah. Um, but when you're putting yourself out there a lot, you're going to get a lot of feedback and most of the feedback is well-intentioned. Sometimes it's ham-fisted, but uh, it's usually well-intentioned and there's different kinds and and again, like to pull back to like the story that you're creating, the story that they might tell in the future, I would respond to just speaking for myself. I've been emailing daily for a thousand days in a row as of tomorrow. And yay. when, yay. And Gmail would crash if I searched for the responses to all of those emails that I've gotten. They're not all, oh my God, this was the greatest thing I've ever read in my whole <laughs> life. You've changed my universe. I know it's hard to believe. But every once in a while, someone's like, whatever, they, they give you some feedback and some people's tone in email is really hard to read. Like they could be sarcastic, whatever it comes across or the first time you read it, uh, it's taken as aggressive or mean. How I reply to this matters. Like, like they might not be thinking there's a person on the end of this email. And a lot of times it's like, wow, I can't believe you read that. But I don't want to turn around and be the same way back to them and be like, just fighting over email. I mean, that's just silly. So so responding to a situation in which you could kind of say like, oh, the email I sent out failed with this person, or you could say that this person feels like it was a fail, air quotes, on my part, whatever. It, I feel like it's really related because it boils down to what's your response going to be to this situation that you don't like? So here's a situation that you feel like me, me personally feel like uh, you know, I wish this email landed with this person and I wish I hadn't missed this phone call like after rescheduling it and picking the time and or whatever. I wish that I didn't forget my kid's birthday or whatever. That hasn't happened yet, knock on wood. But here we are. Here's the situation. And it's the kind of situation that can trigger a lot of defensive and reactive emotions and behaviors. And I think maybe if there's a message for this episode, it's like take a breath Think about the other person, think it, try and be empathetic to their situation, try and see it through their eyes. Imagine that it's, you know, in the case where they're being aggressive, imagine that it's not coming from a place of malice and it was just them venting or being frustrated with something else and not taking it personally. But at the end of the day, whatever one of those situations it might be, you're, you have to decide what action to take and what that behavior is is going to say more about you than it said about the person or the situation. Responding to that in a, in a um, sort of tactful and I don't know, just like... It's like the old civil discourse, not the flowery over the top, but that we want to be polite to the people that we're communicating with because we, 
especially on your email list. I mean, they're on there for a reason. There's got to be some some respect going back and forth. So it's, yeah, it's, I mean, I think we can be maybe respectful. Maybe that's the word. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's certainly in the in the neighborhood of what I'm going for. But you'll be judged by your behavior. You know, I'm like a karate guy and like in the karate school, it's like, watch what people do. Don't listen to what they say. You know, it's like actions speak louder than words, all of those things. Whenever I have responded poorly in one of these situations, you know, like somebody sends an aggressive email and I'm like sarcastic back to them or I screw something up royally and get defensive, like, well, it was traffic, you know, it's, you know, I always regret it. I always regret it because I threw away a golden opportunity to potentially turn a bad situation into a good situation. Yeah, it's, it's a gift. It's a gift. I had a, a, a longtime client and, um, and sometimes he was a little grumpy, but in this particular case, he was just mean. Like it was a really mean email. And I stopped and I took a really deep breath and I thought, this can't be about me. Like I didn't do anything. Like this can't be right. So I wrote back and said, you know, this is really uncharacteristic of you. Are you unhappy with some aspect of my work or is there something you're not saying or something like that? And are you ready for this? Yeah. Like, it's not all about me. His, uh, his cancer had come back and he hadn't told anybody and he was just mad as anyone would be. And I was so appreciative that he told me, number one, it was like, any concern about the meanness of the message just evaporated. I could totally see where it came from. Hey, listen, if it makes you feel better, go ahead. Write like that. Get it out of your system. I can handle it. But it's like we just never know what's going on with the other person. And I think it just, it just you know, it helps to ask. Hmm. So maybe we could wrap up with this story. There's a really narrow road that I take home from my office to my house, you know, I'm only like a half a mile away. I should just walk anyway, but I'm lazy. So, so I drive, it's a nice drive it's down by the water, but there's a, there's a boathouse there that has crew teams go there and they row. And after work, everybody's out of like, you know, they come from Brown university, which is right over the hill and they come down, there's cars everywhere. And it's already like a two lane road with no, no breakdown uh, lane. So basically everybody's parked in one of the lanes so there's only one lane where two cars can barely fit through, right? So so there's this one spot where this person is just parked blocking like all the traffic. And there's a little teeny area to kind of scoot past them. People are mad and there's the traffic's all backed up and this person's just sitting there. And I'm two cars back from the person that's parked there. And the lady in front of me is like right behind the person who's blocking traffic and she creeps up next to the parked person and she rolls down her passenger side window and I'm ready for, you know, it's like our windows are down. It's like my windows are down. I'm like ready for her to like rip into the, the lady who's blocking traffic. And she yells through the window, are you okay? Maybe something was wrong. And then the, you know, the lady who was parked, like, Oh, I'm sorry. I, you know, I didn't realize it. There was no flipping the bird. There was no, get out of the way, you idiot, you know. And I was like, oh, wow. That blew my mind. Because I, I, you know, I'm not the type to like yell out the window, but I would have like, you know, kind of cranky for somebody, you know. Or beeping the horn. 
Yeah, and then and I was ready. I was so ready for this lady to start swearing at the person who was blocking traffic, and then she was like, "Are you okay?" And I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, it totally changes how we respond to somebody. Mm -hmm. Of course, then you'd be like, "Okay, so get out of the way." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like to think that I could always be that person in the moment. And and we can't. None of us are like that all the time unless you're a saint. And I'm guessing nobody listening to this is a saint. And if you are, hallelujah, good for you. But it's, you know, we do the best we can. And when we screw up, we just say, I'm sorry. And we try to fix it. Or in the example you used at the, at the front of the show, you try to make it better than even what your your client or the other person had imagined. You try to double make it up, if you will. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So folks, check out the show notes if you're interested in listening to either one of those books, which it's not 100% related to what we're talking about today, but it, it really, uh, certainly getting more is heavily empathetic. It's heavily focused on figuring out how to put yourself in the other party's shoes and I, I do think that that's, that on its uh, own is related very strongly to the overall concept of what to do when you screw up. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for The Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>